This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westrom, sports writer for Boston.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. The Celtics just uh, lost one ni- uh, 119, no, 117 to 109 to the, uh, I don't have the score in front of me, don't give me that look, um, to the Philadelphia 76ers. Kind of a weird game. Obviously, Jason Tatum was out. Like, the Sixers were fine, aside from Joel Embiid, who was otherworldly, just completely dominant. Um, we just destroyed the Celtics. Nicole, uh, what were your initial impressions? Yeah, I mean, I guess to start, obviously, I'm sure the Celtics don't have moral victories, but it was a pretty good showing without Jason Tatum, and they should feel encouraged that if he does return, Friday's matchup should be really fun to watch. Kind of a funny note about Tatum returning. I don't know if if you were on the post-game Zooms, but uh, Daniel Tice was like, talking about Tatum coming back and, and I noticed I don't think he meant to do it but he said when Tatum comes back on Friday and not if like I think I, I don't think he meant to be like oh Tatum's coming back but it was kind of funny that uh I wonder if the players know something that we don't right so okay technically he's 50 50 and he didn't travel to Philly for this game which is good because that is in line with who knows if it's in line with the NBA protocols but it's definitely in line with what the CDC would recommend yep <laughs> So yeah, if Tatum comes back on Friday, I think that would be interesting. I don't know what Seth Curry's availability situation is. I think he is ready to play. Like he's been cleared. He's just still conditioning. That's why he missed tonight's game. So maybe he'll be back and it'll be a more full squad versus full squad type thing. But I guess to start, I think that they should be encouraged by how well they competed without their best player. And then I also, not to start the podcast on a very like soft note, but I also just appreciated how seriously they were taking it despite Tatum being out in that Brad saved Kemba for basically the fourth quarter and didn't start him for the third quarter. Like it showed that he was really taking the game seriously. And I think the Sixers too, like Joel Embiid was getting very emotional and very animated at certain moments and calls. So it didn't really have a true playoff feel, I guess, because like you said, it was sort of a weird game. And I mean, Jason Tatum wasn't playing, but I did appreciate how I think both teams viewed this as maybe a measuring stick, an early season measuring stick. Philly's schedule has been relatively light. And I think the Celtics have been looking for some good competition since they started the season with the hard schedule. So I think it was overall um, a nice performance. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's funny that you say that about the playoffs. I, I think I thought it kind of had a feel like a game one feel. You know how like a lot of those game ones are just kind of weird and there's like 
there's a bunch of fluky stuff. And then there's like always something for somebody to complain about post game. And there's always like that one very clear storyline that sort of runs through it. I felt like all of those things were there. The teams are just feeling each other out. Yeah, exactly. And like, I felt that was kind of what we were seeing was like, you know, I mean, this is the Celtics, you know, like the through line for this one would be, oh, wow. You know, the Celtics don't really have any answers for Joel Embiid right now. Like that guy was awesome. Like he got to the free throw line a million times, which we'll talk about. There's people complaining about the officiating in the post game, like, and you have this other game looming on Friday where Smart and Embiid were chirping at each other post game. There's going to be some dust up there. Like you just know there's going to be some drama and it's going to be kind of fun. So I enjoyed that. I think, I think all your points are, are, are right too about, I mean, like getting Tatum back is, is obviously, I mean, obviously it's going to be a, a huge deal. I thought it was funny in his post game. Uh, somebody asked Brad about starting Grant Williams alongside Tristan Thompson and Brad just kind of chuckled and he was like, well, I think Jason Tatum's going to start when he comes back. So, you know, like it was kind of fluky for the Celtics on that score, but it was a fun, it was a fun game. Like I, I, like, it was weird that there were like, it was choppy. I know a lot of people were kind of complaining about how, you know, the stop and go, you know, I mean, the Sixers obviously got to set their defense every single time down the floor because they got free throws, but it was competitive and it was nice to just kind of, after seeing the Celtics come back against the Magic and the Knicks, it was fun to see a, like a real game between two teams who actually are going to be playoff teams at the end of the year. No, definitely. And I mean, we can just get into Joel Embiid and I think to add to the playoff atmosphere, even though I just said it didn't have the feel of a playoff game, but now I'm changing my opinion. After he like worked Tristan Thompson to get to the basket, I think in like the third quarter, then he did the, after obviously he made the basket, he did the like, oh, you're too little to guard me gesture. Yeah. Like that's risky to do. It was like 72-72 at that point in the game. Like he was unafraid to talk some trash. Well, and then Jalen Brown did it to Ben Simmons uh, later. Oh, I missed uh, that. Yeah, like so so Jalen crossed Simmons twice. It was it was it was funny because he he did it was a couple of nice moves. Simmons actually stayed with him literally the entire time. The only reason Jalen made the shot is because he hit like a you know kind of tough step back where he created a little bit of separation against Simmons and he makes the shot and then he does the little guy thing to Simmons, who is taller and didn't like really get that shook by it, but it was a very nice move. So shout out to Jalen for uh, also being willing to take the risk and go with the little guy thing, but but yeah, I mean, just to go back to Embiid, I mean, the, like the Celtics had like literally nothing for him tonight. He got whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted it. You know, in this in the first half, he got the Celtics in the bonus very quickly. And then he just started doing like rip through moves and all the things that are going to send him to the free throw line. He ended up, I think, with 21 total by himself. The Celtics had 20 as a team. And, you know, I know Marcus Smart complained about it post game, but I thought Kemba Walker had the right approach to it. Like, look, you know, are there going to be some 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 weird calls? Sure. But like, Embiid saw a a flaw. He saw an advantage that he could take and he took it. Like that's being an all-star. It just is what it is. And like, I thought that Embiid had a good point too, where he said a lot of the time, you know, he doesn't get certain calls because he is just this behemoth, you know? So like guys are very physical trying to stop him. So I actually kind of disagree with smart. I mean, you got to figure out a way to guard him without sending him to the free throw line 20 times. Like it's just, you, you have to do that. Exactly. I agree. And Joel Embiid can use the same strategy. It's not like he got lucky tonight. It's not like, oh, the officiating was skewed a certain way tonight. Yes, there were some questionable calls. He can implement this strategy again, and it will work even if the officiating is different. You know what I mean? Like, he's just that much of a threat, and the Celtics lack the personnel to defend him. And I will say, one of the things that I think is, 
is kind of one of the dumber things levied against Brad Stevens. Not dumber. That's not quite the right word. One of the things that I, I think is maybe like not that fair that is levied against Brad Stevens that I think actually is fair in this scenario is that he doesn't like work the officials. I think there is like an argument for post game, like maybe Brad should say something about not because any of the calls actually were like that egregious, because if Brad Stevens comes out and he says this foul disparity, I mean, there were, you know, there were a lot of foul calls and it just, this doesn't even sound like Brad. So I don't know how he would do it. But like, if Brad came out and said, there's, you know, there, there were a lot of foul calls. I don't know. Like, you know, you look at that disparity, 43 to 20, that's just a lot, you know, the officials, the next game will feel some pressure to even things out. And, you know, just like as a competitive advantage thing, there's something to that. Instead, Marcus Smart has to come out and say that. And, you know, I think Smart really means it. But also like Smart is about to pick up, you know, like a $15,000, $20,000 fine. I think that the officials will probably adjust how they call it a little bit because that's just kind of how these things work a lot of the time. But I'm not sure that should be Marcus Marcus's job necessarily uh, to, to come out and do that. I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about. I mean, about. I don't think it's Brad's job. I also don't want to go too deep into the officiating because I genuinely believe that Embiid worked the Celtics independent. Yeah, um, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. So <laughs> we shouldn't be talking about like tactics to better, I don't know, to address that problem. But I will say one, I don't think Brad would ever do that and two i i don't think if he were to do it he would save it for like a playoff matchup he's not going to drop that in the regular season and smart's going to do it regardless if brad does it or not i don't think it's his job i don't think the team is like oh smart you do this i think he is that's his own prerogative right now i'm not saying like the team would tell him to go out and do it i'm saying more like i wonder if brad said to his guys listen, I'm going to say something to the media about the disparity so you guys don't get fined. I mean, there might be some value yeah. to that. Maybe. Anyway, I think it's a moot point. Regardless, regardless, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that the officiating was that bad. Like, I think that the disparity was like pretty natural based on how focused the Sixers were on pounding the ball inside to Embiid. And I kind of wonder if the Celtics next game shouldn't go back to what worked last year. You know, I mean, well, obviously last year they had Cantor for a lot of it, but I also thought, I mean, they got, they were pretty good at rotating last year, you know, having, having Daniel Tice, you know, on Embiid, when the ball gets into Embiid, you know, you throw somebody else at him to make him pass out of it. And then you just run around the key. If you can get out to every shooter from that time, as the ball is rotating, all of a sudden that's like what, 16 seconds off the shot clock. And they've got to try to hurry up and do something like that's, that's tough to do. So like, I do wonder if the Celtics will try to double and go into rotation a little bit more because clearly, you know, I was doing a live blog for BDC and uh, at one point I wrote like, oh, you know, Tristan Thompson, obviously Embiid is getting like a lot of points, but like you're probably okay with Embiid getting post-up points as long as you're shutting everything else down. And like, by the end of the game, I like, was just like, no, nah, that was dumb. <laughs> like, they're not okay. <laughs> they're just getting like destroyed inside. So to your earlier point and suggestion, I wrote down one of those possessions where Embiid got doubled. And so he kicked it and the ball made its way around the perimeter to different shooters and none of them got a good look. And it turns out the guy that got the open look was Matisse Thibel in the corner. Yeah. And that's exactly what the Celtics want is exactly. Matisse Thibel taking the shot. <laughs> I don't even know what his percentage is, but I'm pretty sure last year it was in the 20s. So that's perfect. But the number of times that that happens, obviously, is not very high. And that also requires like the double coming in at the perfect time and everybody else being in position. So I don't know if it's like a game long strategy that they can actually employ, but those are definitely the successful possessions. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, like the Sixers obviously can do some stuff to mitigate that as well. You know, they can, they can obviously like, especially when Seth Curry comes back. I mean, that's just like another guy who can just really, really shoot it. You stick that guy in the corner instead. And, and it's a, it's a different ball game, but regardless, like, I, I just think that the, uh, we know now that one, one of the things the Celtics can try doesn't work. So, you know, maybe ditch <laughs> that one. So the other key stat that I saw from Joel Embiid was, I mean, obviously the 21 free throws, 42 points is very notable, but the one turnover is huge because when you double him, you're hoping he turns the ball over and he has in the past, especially against the Celtics. He either makes a bad pass or he fumbles the ball like that has happened but he really took care of the ball. And like, this is the best version of Joel Embiid, which is weird because at moments tonight, I thought he still looked tired. He only played 33 minutes, but there are times where I feel like his conditioning still does show up. But like, this is the best version of Embiid where he either gets to the free throw line or has such a presence that he needs to be doubled. And then hopefully he makes the right passes. And there you go. Like, how do you defend that? I'm not sure. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's funny because he was such a high usage player in this game. Like he still took five three pointers, which is at least four three pointers more than he should take in a game because he's just not that good at them. Um, And he went, sure enough, he went one for five. In the third quarter, I was like, man, Joel looks kind of tired. Like, I wonder if it's almost time for him to get out. And what do you know? On that possession, he hoists the three. When he's lazy, he's just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to try this. And what's crazy is he went one for five from three and he scored 42 points on 19 shots. <laughs> like truly one of the most efficient scoring lines you will Very ever efficient. see. Yeah. And he still went one for five. So kind of funny there. Uh, so Embiid, I mean, obviously he's like something the Celtics are going to have to deal with. What do you make of the decision not to play Rob? I know like he's still sort of conditioning and getting his way back too, but he was available. Do you think he might play more on Friday or do you think he would be a useful tool in this matchup? Like what's your feeling there? I mean, I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Rob gets some minutes just like as even just as like a a new face, like a change of pace for, for Embiid because clearly like, Tristan Thompson doesn't have anything for him. And like, we know Tice doesn't. (laughs) The one that I kind of wonder about is Taco Fall. (laughs) Taco has been moderately okay this year. And I'm not saying that he's like the Joel Embiid stopper, but like, he is also a behemoth. And like, I mean, I I just kind of wonder, like maybe instead of, you know, Rob is, Rob is 6'9", maybe 6'10". He's still pretty light. Taco's like 280, 290, and like, you know, he's seven foot five. Like, I don't, I don't, I think it might be worth trying a couple possessions and just see what happens. I think Embiid would 1000% overpower Rob, but I don't think that would be a successful defensive (laughs) assignment for Rob yet. Yet, maybe in the future, but not right now. Taco is interesting because like, I guess if he just put his arms up and just do not foul, whatever you do, don't foul, but just be as tall as you can. Because the other thing that does for you is it like, you don't care if Embiid takes jumpers. So like if Embiid's like, I'm going to be a floor spacer against Taco Fall, the Celtics are like sick. <laughs> like, And if he makes all those fadeaways, great. Those are shots yeah. you can live with. But I think Taco also would make those fadeaways more difficult because he is so tall and he yeah. would have to sort of shoot over that as well. I don't know. It makes Start a little bit of sense. <laughs> 
I don't think it's gonna happen though. I think I think if it's gonna happen, I think you try it on on Friday because like you try it during the regular season because that's not something you can bust out. During, I mean, one you can't bust it out during the playoffs because Taco's a two way player and I don't think he's like legally allowed to play in the playoffs. But you know, two like yeah, like if it's something that you might want to use down the line, like if it's something where you might dump somebody off the roster to like you know make room for Taco. If it works, you know you might have to do that. Like. The Celtics employed Ennis Cantor for all of last year, basically because like he just was like muscly enough to, to defend uh, Embiid a little bit. And it worked out for them in the playoffs. Well, because what is like Taco's ideal NBA role? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, I, like I, sort of this, right? Yeah. Like, Matchup contingent playing yeah. time, obviously. And this seems to be the best opportunity I want to say that it would make sense to play him. I mean, you know, you're not, he's never going to be a switchable guy. So you're talking about a drop big, you know, that that's fine. You know, the Sixers aren't running any pick and roll anyway. So like, they're not getting any advantage uh, off that. So yeah, I mean, it kind of is just like send him out there against the really talented big guy and hope for the best. And maybe that works. Yeah. I mean, we might be overreacting. (laughs) You think? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you could say we're overreacting, but like <laughs> the fact of the matter is that Joel Embiid just scored 42 points on 19 shots. And like the guy that the Celtics went out and got, you know, we talked before the season that the Celtics have all of this like big man depth because they had all these different looks, right? Like they had like the super springy guy and they had the super versatile guy and they had the small ball big. And then they also had Tristan Thompson, who's more, you know, kind of built and, and, and you know, like, like a little bit more sturdy and can maybe like hold up against Joel Embiid. No, he can't. Like we know that now he can't hold up against Joel Embiid. And one of the things that we talked about is for the Sixers to achieve their ceiling, they need Joel Embiid to be a superstar And he has never been that in the past. He's always been like a guy who's like right on the cusp and certainly could be a superstar down the road. But like the guy that we saw tonight is a superstar. Like everything that he did for them. I mean, like a superstar changes the way another team defends you, you know, like, and and that's exactly what he did for them. So, you know, I mean, I I think, yeah, like, sure. We're overreacting because the Celtics lost like a regular season game, but like we're not overreacting and thinking that like, maybe this is a a thing the Celtics are going to have to like really figure out how they want to deal with because he's not going away. Right. Right. No, for sure. If this is sustainable, which has been a problem in the years past that Joel has flashes like this, but then it's not how he plays every night. So if this is sustainable, it's for sure going to be a real problem, especially against the Celtics. I'm wondering what adjustments Brad will make then. Yeah. And that's why the two game series are kind of fun is because we actually get to see. Yeah, for sure. Joel Embiid is shooting almost 40% from three this year. (laughs) On how many attempts? On three per game. That's actually pretty good. That's like ideal for him. Yeah, for sure. So obviously Embiid's, you know, something the Celtics are going to have to deal with. Uh, I thought that the the secondary storyline was Kemba Walker. Obviously he kind of cooled off in the second half. He had a weird, I mean, he had a weird game where he had uh, like a lengthy stint in the first half. And then he was so good that Brad was like, well, let me hold him out for the entire third quarter. When Kemba came back, he just definitely wasn't like as hot as he was in the first half. Like that's, you know, just kind of a, a product of having a, a 20 minute uh, limit, which he exceeded. Uh, he ended up at 22. He looks really fast. He looks really shifty. He's kind of got that jittery, like stop, go, stop, go, you know, go this way, go this way, uh, movement back, which is really, really important. I still have some questions about the way that he's fitting in with Jalen Brown. 
I'm not a hundred percent convinced that they've figured out how to maximize both of those guys on the court at the same time yet. I'm not sure what that looks like. And, and I mean, I don't know that it's going to get easier when Tatum comes back because that's just another like super high usage guy. Like all three of those guys should have the ball in their hands quite a bit to be successful. You know, none of them are really off ball players necessarily. So I think the Celtics are going to have to like figure that out, but the good news is that like Kemba looks great when he was in rhythm in the first half, he was just like, I mean, the Sixers had no answer for him because their, their pick and roll defense really is just not suited for a guy like Kemba who can, who can pull up the way he can, but he looks really good. I, I was, I was really impressed with just like the athleticism and the speed that seems to be coming back because you and I were both a little bit kind of doomer about, uh, about his status. I think he definitely looks better tonight to continue the doomer. It is game two. And he's still on a 20 minute limit. So I am curious to see once the workload increases more, whether the discomfort does return, not to be an immediate Debbie Downer, even though that is exactly what I just was, but I'm still skeptical because it is just game two. And also this was what happened in Orlando. He started off fine and he was ready to go. And everyone said that he feels healthy. He said that he felt great. And I do think it's genuine right now, but then it got worse and nobody acknowledged it until the Celtics were eliminated. And then they're like, oh yeah, Kemba wasn't hundred <laughs> percent. So I do agree that right now he looks good. And I do believe right now he feels great. And I think the team is handling everything. Okay. I just, I'm not fully convinced that this is a long-term thing. No, that, that's, that's very reasonable. I'll, I'll be curious. I mean, I think that they were smarter about it this time. Certainly, like it sounds like they did this whole strengthening program in addition to obviously the procedure. Like, I think that's that's a really smart way to go about things. I think there's reason to be optimistic, you know, that he, he's put a lot of miles on, on those knees, but also like this is the first time that he's ever had to really take care of them because every other year he was going 82 games. So now it's like, okay, you're not an 82 game player anymore. Now you need to scale it back a little bit and become a 16 game player, which is when it really matters. So I think there's some reason for for encouragement there, but I do understand some tendency toward doomerism because the football has been pulled away from us before. (laughs) But I guess what concerns you about Tatum coming back or what do you think that they can do to mitigate maybe problems that might arise? It's tough because they all are at their best when they're operating in the exact same way from the exact same place. And like, they're not all the the same player, but like, yeah, I mean like Tatum is at his best when he's doing his like sidestep threes from the top of the key. And Jalen is at his best when he's coming off pick and rolls and and triple handoffs and he's getting into the middle of the paint and Kemba's at his best doing the same thing because he's a point guard. Uh, I don't know. I I actually don't have any answers for that. I, I think that what will probably happen and what should probably happen is that Kemba ends up being the odd man out. I, I, you have to do that. Like if, if it becomes a thing where Kemba has to stand in the corner a little bit more than he wants to, like you have to do that one because Jalen and Jason are so talented and so young and you have to try to maximize whatever they're going to be. And two, because even if Kemba doesn't love it, you know, he's going to be okay with it and you know, he's going to do it. He'll go stand in the corner and like, he's not going to complain about it. He'll say all the right things. He will tell Jalen and Jason, you guys are the superstars. He'll tell the media, those guys are the superstars and it'll be fine. So I think right now they're still just kind of feeling things out. I think eventually it might end up being a thing where Kemba becomes much lower usage than he might be comfortable with, but like, sorry, man, these guys got too good. Uh, We didn't see this coming. And he's like a good spot up shooter. I assume so. I haven't looked at the numbers, but he should be. (laughs) He's a a very good. Yeah, that's an assumption on my part as well. But I feel like that could work. For sure. I can get those numbers up real quick if you want. Please hold. So, I mean, he shoots 42% from three on on spot ups. So, yeah, he's he's very good. Uh, Jalen was 41.9 last year. And this is all from three, obviously. 
so anyway, all of those guys can shoot, but I just think like Kemba just is like the, you know, it's harsh, but he's the least important of the three. So, I mean, we'll see how they end up handling that. I think the, the one thing about sticking Kemba in the corner that I kind of question in terms of, you know, how much it would help is like, you know, when he's out there, he's at his most useful when he's high usage because he's not an impact defender. Like if he's just in the corner spotting up for three, sure, he spaces the floor, but like if he's not contributing anything on the, or, you know, if he's not contributing much on the defensive end, how much value does he bring floor spacing? I, I don't know. It's tough. Earlier, we had maybe proposed them staggering and having Kemba come off the bench. So that way that could maybe avoid this problem. And I'm not sure if that's the answer. I also don't think Brad would ever implement that unless it got really desperate. I don't think that's at the top of the options. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, you know, you can, you can do it in, in, in more subtle ways, right? Like you just pull Kemba like the four, like four minutes into the game. He doesn't have to start the game on the bench, but yeah, you exactly. can eventually stagger them. Yeah. I mean, that's what Tatum did last year because the Tatum bench units were so good. So, I mean, that would certainly be an option. Interestingly, I mean, those Kemba, Kemba bench lineups are, were garbage last year, but now it's, it's, it's kind of interesting because Tice is coming off, is, you know, kind of coming off the bench behind Thompson and Kemba and Tice seem to have a really good connection. So I actually think that there could be some, you know, some benefit to it there. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. Kemba's a really interesting test case. I, I'm not sure what to make of how, how they're going to implement him. A couple other just kind of minor notes on my end. Tice was awesome tonight. 10 for 12. He hit a three, you know, 23 points, 11 rebounds. I mean, just a, just a really, really impressive offensive game. You know, I'm not sure what to make of that. I, I'm, I'm interested, you know, whether Brad is going to, is going to kind of look at Thompson versus Tice in the starting lineup. Thompson, obviously like, you know, they, they spent the full mid level on him. He's around next year too. Like I'm sure they want to, uh, you know, you know, not that I think keeping Tristan Thompson happy is number one on Brad's list, but like, I'm sure they kind of want to keep him happy, but like Tice says a lot of uh, experience with this starting unit. He, he's, he's built a lot of, uh, you know, good habits, a lot of trust with those guys. Um, I, I'm curious to see how Brad handles that going forward. I, I don't think he really cares about keeping Tristan Thompson, like happy. Like, I don't think he would start Tristan Thompson if that weren't the correct, like strategic move just to keep him happy. I think he'll look into it because it's an interesting question. I don't think anybody knows the answer as to like who is the better option. You would think it's matchup based and tonight would be the night where you would want Thompson in the starting lineup, but that definitely didn't work out. So, so maybe he does. Is what we're trying to say. <laughs> So something that I came to maybe the realization that I've been thinking for a while, but sort of tonight it crystallized, I guess, is that like, I would 1000% take Jalen Brown over Ben Simmons in any situation now at this point. Like I think when, and I mean, um, when starting a franchise, like not for the Celtics individually, just like as like a player, I think that Jalen has just shown so much tremendous growth on both ends of the floor and just like a continued interest in getting better and it's working and just Ben clearly is way more naturally talented than Jalen, but like hasn't really improved that much since arriving to the league. Like, yes, on defense, like I know the threes are like a bit and stuff, but like you could actually be, this might be a stretch, like MVP caliber, like you have really high potential. You have to try something. Like you can't go your entire life not shooting threes or like like even his free throw percentage isn't that great. Like I think I heard on the broadcast that he's like a 60% free throw shooter. And that was an issue of Jalen's too, but he's gotten better and he showed 
interest in getting better and like put in the work. And it's just, if you asked me this question when they both were drafted, obviously you take Ben Simmons and probably even into his rookie year and or his fake rookie year and other like seasons, I would maybe say Ben Simmons because he is just like such a talented player. But this season, I think Jalen really solidified why he should be the choice in that debate. It's funny because I, I think, you know, a lot of times we, we, I think as people who watch basketball, we, we like to pay lip surface to the idea that after a draft, got to give these guys time to develop. But I think a lot of times we don't actually have that patience. Like we pretend we do, but we a hundred percent don't because, you know, three years ago, we would have been, or two years ago, maybe even last year, we would have been like, Oh, it's obvious. You know, like, Oh, remember when people used to think that you should take Brandon Ingram over Ben Simmons? Like, wow, what a ridiculous take. And now you look at it and it's like probably Brandon Ingram or Jalen Brown you know, uh, what, what are we five years after that draft? It's like Simmons probably isn't the number one pick out of that class anymore. And I, you know, one, two years ago, we still would have been like, oh yeah, for sure. Simmons, obviously just not the case. And sorry, you haven't improved. Like he, he was a good player coming in into the league and he's going to be a good player for as long as he's in the league. And that seems to be where he might top out. You look at Brandon Ingram, you look at Jalen Brown. I mean, these are guys who could be great players. They're working to become that. I, I don't know. Did you read the, the Zach Lowe's uh, Brandon Ingram profile? I did not. The first anecdote in that was really cool, actually. Ingram goes in and, and he tells members of the franchise, um, he's like, hey, I want you to like yell at me. I want you to like, I believe that I can be great, but I need your help to get there. So I need you to be hard on me. I need you to like scream at me. I need you to do all this stuff. Shortly afterward, Ingram was late for uh, some team thing and, and like he got screamed at and that was, but like, that's what he wants because he wants to be great. And I think you see that same mentality in Jalen Brown, not maybe that specifically, but you see that same, like Jalen thinks he can be great. Maybe other people didn't believe in him. Maybe you and I didn't believe that he was going to be like, we thought he could be good, but I don't know that we thought that there was like, you know, this, where he's at now and where he's getting to. Well, and so quickly, this level so quickly, I think is what's the most astonishing. Well, and, and it's really interesting because I mean, there's something about it. There's some like something very, uh, like Ben Simmons seems to have convinced himself that he is never going to be a shooter. Whereas Brandon Ingram and Jalen Brown seem to have convinced themselves that they are going to be great basketball players. And that difference in mentality and that difference in sort of like the way they see themselves, I think probably plays a pretty major role in how they're, you know, how they're developing, right? Like, like Jalen Brown believes great. I don't know how Ben Simmons sees himself. I don't know what the deal is with him and his I think shot. it's pretty, I think I don't feel very, I don't feel like I'm going far out on a limb in saying that I don't think Ben Simmons thinks he's ever going to be a shooter. Like if he thought he was going to be a shooter, he would be trying some shots. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what his deal is, but, but just the lack of offensive development is discouraging, but like, it's just what puts Jalen over the edge. And yeah. I don't think that that's, really a debate anymore especially because Jalen also has like playoff chops to go along with it now too like he had it's yeah, just right. I don't I really just don't think it's a question anymore no I agree with you all right guys well thank you all for listening uh please feel free to dm us any questions comments or concerns and we will talk to you all soon Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.